For me personally, one of the most disturbing, eye-opening, and alarming passages in all the Bible is found in Judges 2 verse 10. and says this, After that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, this is Joshua's generation, the generation that entered the promised land, after Joshua's generation had passed away, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. How does that happen? How does a culture shift from one generation faithfully following God to the very next generation forgetting about him? How does that happen? How does a change like that occur? Well, that's what I want to talk about today. That's the question we're going to answer today. But before we do, I want to welcome you guys to First Church. So glad you're here. I'm Chad, if you're new. And I want to give a special welcome to our Stone Canyon campus because today, for the first time, our Vertigris campus and our Stone Canyon campus are meeting together out at Stone Canyon. So if you would, put your hands together and welcome them. And I also want to give another welcome to a special group. Today is Mother's Day, so I know we have a lot of moms in the room. If you would, put your hands together and let's show our appreciation for our moms. Now, guys, I want to let you know, your moms, they want more than just an applause, okay? They want a gift and they want lunch today, so make sure you take care of them. They do deserve it. Over the past few weeks, we've been in a series, and we've been introducing a new mission statement in this series. And our mission statement is simple. It's easy to remember. It's five words. It's two phrases. You guys know it by now. Say it with me. Love Jesus. Love like Jesus. And we want this mission statement to define who we are as a church and also who we're trying to become. We believe it's who God wants us to become. Because in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus was asked the question, what's the greatest commandment? Out of all of God's commandments, what's most important? And Jesus responded, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul. That's the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus then says, all of God's law, all of his commandments, hang on, those two commandments, those two phrases, love God, love people. And we've been discussing how churches have a tendency to complicate what Jesus intended to be so simple, and that happens when they get distracted by stuff that doesn't matter to Jesus at all. So here at First Church, we want to keep the main thing the main thing. We want to be known for what God considers to be most important, and that's why we launched this new mission statement, Love Jesus, Love Light Jesus, because we believe that's what life is all about. We believe that's what God wants us as his church to be all about. So our mission statement, love Jesus, love light Jesus. But our vision is that we want to be a church that unleashes a revolution of love because we believe that First Church has been placed here at this point in history to unleash a revolution of God's love on the 918 and beyond. And how are we going to do that? Well, we've come up with four expressions that we've been looking at over the past few weeks that explain how we're going to do just that. And our first expression says we relentlessly pursue God because we understand as a church before we can change the world with the love of Jesus, we have to first let the love of Jesus change us. 
Our second expression says we sacrificially serve our families. And last week we talked about how in order to unleash a revolution of God's love on the 918, we have to first unleash love on our families. We have to be a, a people who are unleashing God's love, sharing God's love in our homes. Our third expression says we intentionally invest in the next generation, in our kids, our grandkids, the students and children that attend church here. So we're going to talk about that today. And then our fourth expression says we generously extend hope to everyone. And by everyone, we mean everyone, regardless of their background. And we believe that when these expressions become our DNA as a church, that we will be a dangerous church that poses a very real threat to the status quo of our culture. So the past few weeks, we've been unpacking these expressions, and we're going to do that again today as we look at our third expression, which again says, we intentionally invest in the next generation. And I think it's very appropriate that we're talking about this expression today because as I mentioned, today is Mother's Day. And if there's a group out there that understands what it means to invest in the next generation, it's definitely our moms. Mothers understand the importance of investing in the next generation. And that's why mothers make sacrifices and they put up with a lot uh, because they want the best for their children. And they're willing to do that because they know their kids are worth the investment. And I came across a video a year or so ago that I think illustrates this point it's a mom who was putting up with a lot in order to show love to her daughter and this mom had been at home with her daughter for three straight days because of snow they had three snow days in a row and I know out here in northeast Oklahoma we don't get a lot of snow I'm learning that but back where I'm from in Kentucky we get a lot of snow and it's nothing for us to have 10 or more snow days a year where the kids are out of school and so this mom had had three days at home with her daughter because of snow and apparently her daughter wanted to watch the movie Frozen the Disney movie Frozen oh over and over and over again and so the mom had had just about enough and she documented her experience take a look at this video she made let it go no school Let it go. Let it go. Turn away. This would be uh, day three. School still out. All day. Frozen. Elsa. What, what's, what's the snowman name? Olaf. And what's the sister name that froze everybody up from the beginning? Elsa. What's the other one name? Anna. If I ever could show some cartoon characters, it'd be them. Kristoff, all them. I'd kill them if I could. Some of you moms have given that look before, I know. I've received that look from my mom on occasion. Mothers, you understand what it means to make sacrifices for your kids, and you do that because you believe them and you want what's best. And that's the same reason why we think this third expression, we intentionally invest in the next generation is so important. Because we believe in the next generation. We believe God loves the next generation and we want the next generation to come to know Him. And we think it's important that we invest in them. And sometimes investing in the next generation is tough. We have to make sacrifices. 
It's difficult, and I have to step outside of our comfort zones. But we know the next generation, my kids, your kids, your grandkids, they're worth it. And that's why we're attaching a challenge to this expression which says we want 100% of our first church children and students to know who Jesus is and learn to follow him in daily life. From the time a child first comes on one of our campuses to the time he or she graduates high school, we want that child to personally know who Jesus is and learn to follow him in daily life. Now, you might be thinking or might be asking, don't we want that for everyone? Why are we just focusing on the next generation? Well, that's true. We do want that for everyone. We believe God established the church to be intergenerational. First church is here for all ages. We are leaving no one out. But there's a reason why we're emphasizing a need to invest in the next generation. According to recent studies, 90% of salvation decisions in our country are made by someone who is 18 years old or younger. 90%. I mean, that's staggering. And if that stat is true, then we don't need to waste, we don't need to neglect the window of opportunity that we have with our kids. But here's the critical hinge. According to Tom Rayner, who studies church growth for the Lifeway uh, Corporation, 70% of children who grow up attending church will drop out of church between the ages of 18 and 28. 70%, the overwhelming majority of children who grow up in church will drop out of church between the ages of 18 and 28. Now, when those stats first came out, that really didn't shock anybody. That's kind of been a pattern or a trend for several decades now. So that really didn't shock anybody when Rainer published his research. But what did shock everybody was the next part. See, in years past, students would drop out when they hit that certain age, but eventually they would come back to church. You know, when they got married or started having kids or whatever, they would come back to church. But what Rainer pointed out is over the past 10 years, they're not coming back. In fact, only 20% of those who dropped out of church over the past 10 years have come back to church. This has led to a generational crisis in the church today. And if Rainer's research is true and if it continues, our culture is going to suffer because of it. Rainer points out that only 4% of millennials, and I'm talking about those who were born between the years 1984 and 2000, only 4% of millennials are serious, Bible-believing, church-attending followers of Jesus. And guys, that breaks my heart. Because I pointed out a few weeks ago, I am a millennial. Barely, but I am one. I know when I said that a few weeks ago, some of you were shocked. Like, oh, we didn't know our preacher was that young. I mean, I could just read your minds. Well, honey, we were liking that guy until we found out he was so young, until we found out our preacher was a kid. I know what you guys were thinking. Don't judge me because I can't help it when I was born, okay? I am who I am. But this speaks to me because my generation doesn't know, doesn't know Jesus. And I believe the church is here to do something about that. Could it be that what happened in Judges 2 verse 10 is happening in our culture today? Remember what Judges 2.10 says, After that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Now we can sit back and we can do nothing and just say that's the way it's going to be and just keep Jesus to ourselves. 
In fact, I had a conversation with an elder of another church not too long ago, and I was sharing some of these stats with him, and he looked at me, and he goes, well, you know, Chad, that's just the way it's going to be. I mean, I don't know what to do about it, as if I'm not going to do anything about it. And I know the church where he serves. It's a dying congregation. We can sit back and we can do nothing, or we can seek God and ask his help, and with his empowerment, we can attempt to change the trend of our culture We can attempt to be a dangerous church that poses a very real threat to the norm. We can be a church that actually starts to bring the next generation throughout Northeast Oklahoma back to their creator. And I believe that's exactly what the Bible is calling us to do. In Psalm 71, verse 18, the psalmist writes, Now that I am old and my hair is gray. Anybody fall in that category? I'm kidding. You don't have to raise your hand. But now that I am old and my hair is gray... Don't leave me, God. In other words, God, don't take your presence away from me. Continue to be in me. Continue to work through me. Continue to empower me. Don't leave me, God. Why? The psalmist says, because I must tell the next generation about your power and greatness. God, continue to empower me and be with me. Why? Because as long as I'm here on this earth, I must tell the next generation about who you are. See, here's the thing. Every generation needs an older generation. Why? God designed it that way. The younger generation needs the wisdom, the guidance, the experience of an older generation. But at the same time, every older generation needs a younger generation. Again, that's how God designed it to work. The older generation needs the joy, the vitality the youth of a younger generation. I mean, have you ever visited a church that doesn't have any kids in it? A few summers ago, Alice and I went on vacation and we visited a church on Sunday, small little church, didn't have any kids. We didn't have Addie yet, but Alex was born. And so when we walked in as a young couple carrying a little boy, I mean, you would have thought that we were carrying gold or something. I mean, they just kind of pounced on us like, oh, there's a kid among us. I mean, they were just so excited. And that's, it was such a sad situation. If you've ever been in a church like that, it's kind of a lifeless place. Ephesians 3.21 says, to God be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout what? All generations, forever and ever. Amen. God designed the church to be intergenerational. And notice I'm using the term intergenerational rather than multi-generational. Because multi-generational just means you have multiple generations meeting together in the same place. But intergenerational means you have various generations, different generations meeting together, and they're interdependent on one another. They're working together in order to accomplish some goal, in order to fulfill some purpose. They're interdependent. And that's why I'm using the term intergenerational rather than multigenerational, because I believe God intended the church to be an intergenerational force for good. Why? Because every generation needs God. But guys, in order for that to happen... We're going to have to humble ourselves. We're going to have to do some tough stuff. Some tough stuff that God wants us to do, is calling us to do. Because let's be honest. There's real tension today in our culture among different generations. A lot of generations don't get along and they're constantly criticizing one another. There's a lot of animosity when it comes to different generations. And we cannot let that be carried over into God's church because there's no place for it here. We see this happen all the time. We see different 
older people in our culture criticize younger people for no reason at all just because they're younger, just because they're different, just because they don't have as much life experience as they have. And guys, let me let you in on a little secret. The reason why the younger generation doesn't have as much life experience as the older generation is because they haven't lived as long. The way you get life experience is by living. (laughs) And so instead of criticizing somebody because of their age, maybe come alongside them and help them gain some wisdom. Share with them your life experience but on the flip side, the younger generation isn't off the hook. Younger generations have a tendency sometimes in our culture to criticize older generations just because they're older, because they're different. And sometimes younger people will not respect older people like they should. And they have this arrogant attitude like they know more and they don't appreciate what the older generation has done for them. It happens on both sides. But there's no place for that in God's church. Let me give an example of this going on in our culture. Time magazine a few years ago had an article about the younger generation, about younger people, and listen to what Time magazine said. It said, they have trouble making decisions. They would rather hike in the Himalayas than climb the corporate stepladder. They crave entertainment, but their attention span is as short as one zap of a TV dial. You know when Time magazine published that? In the year 1990. That was almost 30 years ago. That wasn't written about the millennials. That was written about Generation X. By the way, Generation X, they're now in their 40s and early 50s, okay? So if you're in that age group, that was written about you, the older generation shaming you for whatever reason. But let me give you another quote. This came out in the New York Times. It said, the now generation, speaking again of the younger generation, the now generation has become the me generation. Ever heard that before? Oh, these young people are just all about themselves. You know when that was written? 1976. That was written about the baby boomers. We have any baby boomers in the room today? That was written about your generation. And let me give you one more quote. I see no hope for the future of our people if they are dependent on the frivolous youth of today. You know who wrote that? Hesiod in the 8th century BC. (laughs) It seems like that some in older generations have been criticizing younger generations since the very beginning, all because they're different. Now, that's not to say that the younger generation doesn't do the same. I'll never forget visiting a church campus one time because the senior minister there invited me to come have lunch with him and he wanted to show me around the campus before we had lunch. So we're walking around and this guy's probably only a year or two older than me. He was a younger guy and he's showing me different stuff they have in their, on their campus and some of this, he's telling me about some of the stuff they're doing in their church. And this guy, he was kind of full of himself and he's just bragging and whatever. And at one point as he's talking about their ministry, he looked at me and he said, yeah, your grandparents probably wouldn't feel welcome in this church. And then he smiled. He was kind of snarky about it. And I remember being very offended by that. He was kind of proud of that statement. Your grandparents, they wouldn't feel welcome here. And I remember being very offended at that statement. Because he doesn't know my grandparents. I do. And all my life, I've never lived in the same town as my grandparents. But if I did, I would want to be able to go to the same church with them. I would want to be able to sit beside them in worship. I would want to be able to serve alongside them because I know my grandparents. They're godly people who love Jesus and love like Jesus long before I was ever born. I didn't like his comment at all. See, he didn't know my grandparents, but I do know them. 
And I've got a picture of my grandparents I want to put up on the screen. This picture was taken right before we left Kentucky to move to Oklahoma. It's the four of us with my mom's parents, my grandma and grandpa. Love them to death. They live in Springfield, Kentucky. They have their entire lives. And like I said, they are faithful, godly people. My grandpa was an elder at the Springfield Christian Church for years. He just recently stepped down from that role, but they're still there every Sunday. My grandma, she's been involved in ladies' ministries and children's ministries and all sorts of stuff throughout the years. And my grandma is not doing real well. She had a bad stroke here uh, not too long ago, and so she's not able to do some of the things that she used to be able to do. And so my grandpa is kind of taking care of her. He's become her caregiver, and yet they are in church every time the doors are open. They do not miss. They are faithful. And I, I, can't, I don't have time today to tell you the stories I've heard over the years, how many lives they've impacted, because they are. They're a couple that loves Jesus and loves like Jesus. And one day I was having a conversation with my grandpa, and you know, I'm a preacher, and he was an elder in the church, and so we talk about church a lot. And he looked at me and goes, uh, Chad, at that church you serve, I just started at the last church I was at, and he said, do they have drums there? And I said, well, yeah, Grandpa, we have drums. I wasn't sure where the conversation was going. I said, yeah, we have drums. He said, well, we just started having drums in our church, and I'm not a huge fan of it. And I was like, yeah, I'm not surprised at that. Yeah, that makes sense. But then he said something that did surprise me. He said, but you know, your cousins, I've got cousins, his grandkids that go to church there. So your cousins, I see them worship passionately with those drums. And their friends do. He said, you know what? I love my grandkids more than I dislike those drums. And if those drums help them draw closer to Jesus, I'm not going to say a word about it. I had a conversation out in the lobby a few weeks ago with a man in our church, an older gentleman who came up to me and he started to tell me about all the things in our church that he doesn't care for, preferences that he doesn't care for. And he was just giving me all this list of stuff. He was nice about it, very loving about it, but he was telling me, and I was thinking it's one of those conversations where I'm just going to hear you know, a lot of that stuff. And so I'm just listening to everything he has to say, because I do. I, if you come talk to me, I'll, I'll listen to what you have to say. So he's telling me all this stuff. And then he gets to the very end, and he said, but you know what, Chad? I heard something you said a few weeks ago. You said we're to love people more than we love our preferences. And that hit me hard. He said, I'm going to keep telling you occasionally, you know, what I like and don't like, because that's just me. But he said, I'm never going to let my preferences get in the way of somebody coming to know Jesus. And he looked at me with tears in his eyes and told me he was sorry. I didn't even know him that well. But I can't take credit for that. Loving people more than preferences is something that my grandpa taught me years ago. And I believe it's what the Bible teaches us. Guys, every generation is different. We all know that. That's not a surprise. And every generation thinks that its brand of different is right and the other generation's brand of different is wrong. That's typical. But here's the thing. Sometimes different isn't bad. It's just different. Now, if we're talking about a biblical issue, that's a different story. But sometimes difference in preference, it isn't bad. It's just different. So yes, every generation is different, but here's the one thing we all have in common. Every generation needs God. And something my grandpa taught me, something that the Bible has taught me, is that my personal preferences aren't worth getting in the way of anybody coming to know Jesus. 
That's why Paul says that he became all things to all people. He didn't compromise his biblical convictions. He didn't compromise truth. But he was willing to dress like a Gentile and eat what the Gentiles ate if it meant reaching the Gentiles. And he did the same with the Jews. So what are we going to do? Let's go back to Judges 2 verse 10. It says, after that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. How are we going to make sure that Judges 2.10 is not our story as well? How are we going to make sure that Judges 2.10 is never said of us? How are we going to reverse the cultural trend where the next generation doesn't know the God that we follow? Well, I think we first need to answer, how did Judges 2.10 happen in the first place? Because that wasn't the only time it happened throughout the history of Israel. This actually happened time and time and time again. Why does this happen? How does a culture jump from one generation faithfully knowing and following God to the very next generation almost completely forgetting about Him? Well, the answer is simple. Instead of intentionally introducing the next generation to God, they just assumed that the next generation would come to know God. Instead of the present, the current generation intentionally investing in the next, they just assumed that the next generation would come to know God. And it never worked out that way. Guys, if we're going to reach the next generation, we can't be passive about it. We can't just assume eventually they'll come to know who Jesus is. We have to be intentional about it. We have to be passionate about it. We can't be a church where people just show up and we say, okay, they're here, so they're getting it. We have to be a church where everyone invests in someone. That's what God calls us to do, to be a community of Christ followers where everyone invests in someone so that spiritual growth can continue to take place. Let me illustrate it like this. In our church, like in every church, there are people at all different spiritual levels. And right now in our church, we have people that I'm just gonna, going to refer to as free samplers. These are people who are investigating Jesus. You ever been to Sam's Club and they have those little booths set up of free samples and you walk around and you don't have to eat lunch that day because you just go around multiple times and get free samples, you know what I'm talking about? You can go and you can try something, something that maybe you've never had before that Sam's Club is trying to sell for that day, you know, like Fritos wrapped in bacon or something. And I'm almost ashamed to admit this, but there have been days when I've gone to Sam's Club and I've walked up to one of those free sample booths and I've tried their sample because I wanted to try it. And then the person handing out the sample wants, to, wants me to buy their product. And so I don't know if they work on commission or what, but they try to get me to buy it. And so I'm a nice guy and I'll pick up a box of whatever it is they're trying to sell. I'll put it in my cart and then I'll go like two aisles down and I'll set it down because I don't want it. I just want to sample it, you know? I'm almost embarrassed to tell you that, but I've done it. You have too, you know, we've all been there. But free samplers, they're people who are just investing in Jesus. And guys, that's okay. We want to be a church where it's okay for people to come and sample Jesus. Where people can come and investigate Jesus. Because we know they first have to investigate him. They first have to sample him before they'll ever get to know him. So we want to be a church where it's okay for people to come and be free samplers. But we don't want to be a church where it's okay for people to stay in this spot. Because there are churches out there that are full of people who have been free samplers for decades. And the problem with that is, if you remain a free sampler all your life, your eternity hangs in the balance. Because you've never actually committed to Jesus. You're just sampling Him. 
but you never committed to him as your Savior, as your Lord. We want people to move from this spot to mature in Christ, to grow up in Christ. And so the next group of people that we have in our church, and all churches have these individuals as well, are, are what I like to call the milk drinkers. And milk drinkers are people who, they're receiving Jesus. They've moved from just sampling Jesus to actually wanting to know him. And so now they're receiving him. He is their Savior. They've committed to Him as their Savior. But they're milk drinkers because they're still in the infancy stage of their spiritual walk, of their spiritual journey. So they're not able to handle the meatier stuff, the more solid food of Christianity. They just like to take in the easy-to-swallow stuff. So they talk a lot about God's forgiveness and stuff like that, but there may not be as much change going on in their life as God would like. Now, there's nothing wrong with being a milk drinker. Everybody has to be at this point at some time or another. But again, we don't want to be a church where people stay there. Because if you remain a milk drinker all your life, well, your eternity doesn't hang in the balance. But your life, the life you're living right now, it will always be less than what God knows it can be. You'll never reach your full spiritual potential. See, Jesus said he came so that we could have an abundant life, a life that's full of meaning and purpose, a life where we receive contentment and satisfaction like the world doesn't offer. And the way that we continue to experience that abundant life is by growing up in him, moving on to the deeper stuff, moving on to know him better all the time. So it's okay to be a milk drinker, but we don't want anybody to stay there. We want them to eventually move on to this next spiritual level, which I'm just going to refer to as the meat eaters. And meat eaters, these are people who are following Jesus. These are people who have moved from Jesus just being their Savior. Now they want Him to be their Lord. And so they're hungry for the deeper stuff. And they want to study God's Word. They want to dig into it. And they want to know Him more. They want to know Him on a deeper level all the time. And most of the time when you hear people talk about different spiritual levels in the church, they'll stop here and they'll say, this is where you want to be. You want to be a meat eater. And again, we want everybody to reach this level. But this is not where we want you to stop. Because there's a danger here too. Sometimes meat eaters, they get comfortable here. They get comfortable just receiving the meat. Taking it in themselves, consuming it themselves but then they never share it, or they stop sharing it. They stop giving it to others, and they become spiritually obese, just taking and taking and taking, but never getting, not letting it have any practical application in their lives. So what we want is for everybody to move to this last, this last level, which I'm going to refer to as the meal makers. See, we want people to move from being a free sampler, to being a milk drinker, to being a meat eater, to then eventually being a meal maker, a meat eater to a meal maker. We want you to be a person who multiplies in others the life that Jesus multiplied in you. We want to be a church that's known for that. And the reason why Israel, time and time again, found themselves in the spot where the next generation didn't know God, is because they didn't have any meal makers. They came short of that. We want to be a church that's sharing Jesus with the next generation, sharing Jesus with those who don't know him. We want to be a church where people are constantly moving from one phase, one level to the next, and eventually getting here. 
taking the life that Jesus has multiplied in them and multiplying it in others, sharing it with others. Now, there's one more group of people that you can find in any church, and it doesn't really fit with the examples that I've given so far, but I think we need to mention this group because they're out there. You know them. This is a cookie jar, and I'm going to refer to this last group as the dessert stealers. (laughs) These are people who are in church, and they know the truth, but they've become distracted. And maybe they mean well, but because they're distracted, they're preventing people from coming to know Jesus. And so in my cookie jar, I just have crumbs because they've taken all the cookies. There are no cookies left. And we all know dessert stealers, joy stealers, people who are in church, but they complain more than they celebrate. Um, They're people who gossip more than they encourage. They're full of judgment more than love. They're sour more than they're sweet. They're dessert stealers. And we all know them. They're actually in every age group. Churches sometimes are full of them. And what God's Word is telling us is we don't want anybody to stop short of becoming a meal maker, but we also don't, any, we don't want anybody to jump over here and become a dessert stealer. We want to be a church where people are constantly providing spiritual nourishment for others. The reason why Israel found themselves in the place where they were in Judges 2 verse 10 is because they stopped investing in the next generation. They stopped being meal makers. And I'm convinced God is calling our church, First Church, to share the love, grace, and life that Jesus has shared with us. I'm convinced that God is calling us to be a church where our collective goal is that everyone who steps foot on one of our campuses can learn how to move from being a free sampler to a mill maker. Again, the reason why Judges 2.10 happened was because they didn't have any mill makers. Their nation was either full of dessert stealers or people who stopped short of becoming mill makers. They didn't have anyone willing to invest and provide for the next generation. Now, I mentioned my grandma, my grandparents, just a little while ago. And since it's Mother's Day, I'd like to share one more thing about my grandma. My grandma mentioned she had a stroke here a few years ago, and so or, um, she's not able to do some of the things that she used to be able to do. And one thing my grandma was always great at was cooking. She's an outstanding cook. And she made everything from scratch. Everything was homemade. When we had fried chicken, she actually, like, battered the chicken herself and fried it herself. There was nothing that was ever store-bought. When she had rolls or biscuits, it was always made from scratch. She was just an outstanding cook, one of those old-fashioned country cooks. And I loved having meals at my grandma's house. I know I'm making us hungry right now because it's almost lunchtime. But I loved eating at my grandma's house. But you know something? When I was a kid, when I was little... I was kind of picky. My other, my cousins, they were picky as well. And so we wouldn't eat all this awesome stuff that my grandma would fix. And so you know what she would do? Yeah, she would make, you know, homemade fried chicken for everybody. But then she would go buy some frozen chicken nuggets and heat them up in the oven for us as kids. And she would make a special meal for us. If she had, you know, like country ham or turkey or something, she'd fix hot dogs for us. And I remember one time my mom getting a little bit upset with my grandma and saying, Mama, why do you do that? Just make them eat whatever we're going to eat. And my grandma looked at my mom and said, I'm not going to do that for two reasons. One, I want my, kid, my grandkids to look forward to coming to my house. I want them to enjoy it. I don't want them to be upset once they get here. I want them to enjoy it and have a good time while they're here. And two, 
I never want my grandkids to go home hungry. I want to give them something that they're willing to eat. And you know what? I think that should be our goal as a church as well. On a spiritual level, we need to make sure that we are providing an environment, providing opportunities for people to come and enjoy Jesus and be spiritually fed. Because here's the thing, we are surrounded by people in our culture today, neighbors, co-workers, even our family members, who have not grown up in church, who don't know the things that we know. They're not where we are. And they might get there someday. Eventually, when it came to my grandma's meals, I eventually ate what she fixed because I found out that stuff was a lot better than frozen chicken nuggets. But it took me a while to get that. So we have people who are spiritually hungry and they're not able to handle the stuff that we're taking in right now. And that's okay. But we've got to give them something that they will eat because they need Jesus. So we present Jesus to them in whatever way that they'll eat, whatever way they'll take him. We don't change the truth. We don't change the gospel in any possible way. That remains the same. But we get on their level and present him in a way where they can enjoy him and where they can be nourished by him. I think that's what Paul means when he says become all things to all people. There's a whole generation out there that is hungry for God. And we've got to do whatever we can, whatever it takes to give them the spiritual nourishment they need. Andy Stanley once wrote, the greatest contribution you make to the kingdom of God may not be something you do, but someone you raise. We started off this message with that video that said, what are you doing? I guess what I want to ask is, who are you investing in? Who are you making a meal for? May God use First Church as an intergenerational force that turns the world turns our culture, turns the next generation back to him. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for today and this time we've had to come here and to celebrate who you are and to celebrate the fact that we are a church of multiple different generations that are interdependent on one another, that need one another in order to accomplish your will and to grow up in you. And so, Father, I just pray that you bless First Church, that we put aside different distractions and we focus on what's most important and that we give people your son because that's who they need. So Father, I just ask you to continue to lead us and guide us, direct us as we serve you. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. Would you stand with me?